0: Left center deep, gone. Brewers lead in a swing and a miss. He struck him out down the line, and that's the ball game.
1: Welcome to episode five of Brewers Unfiltered. It's Sophia Minner, Adam McAlvey, Tim Dillard. We're all back with you. Season is fully underway. We're on the first road trip, got the first homestand through of the schedule. It was a great homestand for the Brewers. Five wins for them. They won both of the series against the Mets and the Cardinals. And along with that, Adam and I got a chance to sit down with Corbin Burns for an exclusive interview last week after his second start. So here's our chat with Corbin, enjoy.
2: Sophia and I are here in the media interview room at American Family Field with Corbin Burns, the Brewers opening day starter. And Corbin, thanks for doing this. We want to ask you about sort of off, lots of stuff off the field. We've These sessions last year were great to kind of get to know guys a little bit. But we thought let's first, if you're okay with this, talk a little bit about baseball because your first two starts were not what you want um, from start to finish. And I just wonder whether there's a chance to talk here in general terms about how you process that because we know you're such a process oriented guy. So we're sitting here on Friday. Let's just lay this out. We're sitting on Friday. The podcast will come out on Tuesday, the day you pitch in Arizona. So people are maybe listening to this right before you take the mound. We're two days removed from you being on the mound. What's happened in the last two days? And how long did the Mets game, the Mets start stay in your mind? And at what point did you like flip the page and onto the next?
0: Yeah. So yesterday, being the off day, was nice to, to kind of get away from everything and enjoy the day with uh, with with Brooke and Carter and and have some fun with them. But um, yeah, for me, I've, what I've developed over the last couple of years is is a really good job of. When my day's over, I, I leave the day at the field. Um, I try not t- to take it home because Burke and Carter don't need, to need don't need to deal with that at home. So, um, if I have to take an extra extra long shower that day to kind of rinse off the day, then I do. But um, for the most part, once once the day's over, um, it, it's on to the next one and, and on to on to my next five or six days to get on the next start. So um, today is kind of the day where I'll go in and, and you know break down the, the the remaining of the the film that I have and and get the final execution score and just kind of you know get the final over, overview. But um, it's not something that we're going in and beating ourselves up over. It's 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 preparing our work week for this next week, um, and just kind of you know a general overview of the last two starts and yeah, I mean the, the results haven't been good. Um, I think that's that's very tough for for I think a lot of people at home to to see is that we try not to try not to make everything you know result based, and um, if if we're out there chasing strikeouts or we're chasing zeros, then it's going to be long long year for us. So um, for me personally, I've 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 thrown the ball decently well. Um, it's just at times you make mistakes in the wrong with the wrong guys at the plate and they, and they make you pay for it. So, um, just had a couple of brief conversations with, with hooky and, and Jim a little bit and, you know, ev- everything we're seeing, you know, mechanically moving stuff, it, it's where we want to be. We're just making you know, mistakes at the wrong time. So, um, for me more than anything, it's, that's going to be a, you know, a mindset change in a mental mental work more than, you know, physical work. Um, so that's, that's kind of, I think a lot of people don't understand it is, is baseball Yeah, they, you know, they, they see the, the score on the scoreboard. And, you know, we have to look at it a little more depth and, um, you know, I, I think back to, to the the day I threw the no hitter. I didn't have the best stuff, but you know, me, me and Josh combined for a no hitter, and um, then the the one game that kind of tops everything off of you felt good and got the good results was the the day we struck out ten in a row in Chicago. So. There's there's days where you have everything going and you get good results. You have nothing going, you get good results, and you have everything going, and you get good and you get bad results. So it's just kind of how this game goes. Um, no one likes to go up and give up runs. Um, if everyone could draw it out, you'd go seven, eight, nine scoreless every time. But that's just not how this game goes. So um, for me, it's it's back to work this week. And um, physically, we feel great. So it's just kind of a, a few little mental cues and mental changes that uh, we'll take into this next one.
1: But I know for you, like, your day after is so important because that's when you go back. You log the game, right? That's when you get your execution score. And you go, you're so meticulous, pitch by pitch, logging the location, right? And that's ultimately your execution rate. Why do you feel like that process is best for you? Like, you know, in terms of assessing yourself and, and how well you know yourself, right, at this point now, six years into this?
0: Yeah, I think, I think for a lot of guys and for so long, your, your performance has been evaluated what the box line says. Um, so it's very easy to say, hey, look, I went seven, seven innings, gave up you know, one run, and struck out eight. But in reality, if you kind of sit down and break it down, maybe the slider that day, you left a lot of sling, uh, you know, sliders hanging in the zone that they swing and miss, and that's how you get your punch-outs, where you know if you come across a good lineup with some veteran hitters, those balls are going to be you know, hit out the wall or in the gaps or whatever. So for me, it's just a more in-depth um, way of looking at it and kind of formulating my work week. Um, so that, hey, if we, we didn't have a good feel for the curveball that day, but we got away with it with some sliders and some change ups, we know, hey, the next lineup coming up, we, we may really need that curveball at a certain time. So we need to make sure we work on it. So just a way of breaking down kind of how every pitch performed each side of the plate um, you know, with, with, with the 0 counts, 1-1 counts, how we got back into it. Just a lot of different things to kind of evaluate and just always gives you something to, to get you know look forward to or to get better at. Um, like I said, the, the, for me, the toughest games to break down are the ones you have your stuff, you feel good, you go out, you get good results, and you're like, okay, you, what do you work on? Everything felt good. So you have to kind of dig in a little more. Um, maybe, maybe that day 1-1 one, one counts. We you know we, we kind of fell behind to 2-1 a lot of the time versus getting ahead to 1-2. So there's always something that I can find to, to work on, um, even if, like you said, we had good stuff and had good results that day. Well,
2: Sophia mentions executions rate or or, you know the way you break down your starts I think a lot of us learned about your process from our friend Will Salmon's great piece was that two years ago or was that last year where we wrote about your your diary essentially where you log each start and the amount of the the success rate on executing the pitch you wanted to make um what does your diary entry look like from the no hitter day do you know off the top of your head um what it what it says
0: yeah, I, th- I think, actually I think we talked about it the other day when we were looking at it. Um, I think the ex- execution score was like 78 or 79. So it was good, but not um, a lot of what the scores were that year in 21. Um, we had multiple times that we were over 80, getting 83, 84. Um, so that day, I think, actually I think it may have been 76 that day not I think about it. Um, so it was, it was a day It was still good. Um, and the the other piece you kind of you, when you dig into is the, those other twenty five percent that you're you know, not executing pitches executing the pitches are you missing in good spots so that, the, those are the days that you even go and you hey, hey I was a seventy five percent execution rate today but we gave up a couple runs how come because all oh, these other misses were were bad misses so. Um, I think you know, going back to that, thinking back to that no hitter day, like there was a lot of misses that were just kind of over the plate that guys just had swung through. And I remember talking to Omar and him saying, "Hey, the, the cutter was like a slider that day, and we could throw it right down the middle, and guys were swinging and missing." So it was just one of those days that everything kind of kind of matched up great with you know with movement and how mechanics were going, and command really wasn't that great that day. Um, I think everything else besides the cutter was was really good that day, but. They were just swinging through, and swinging and missing at cutters that happened to be you know, right down the middle, or we're trying to go back door and we yank it in and get a swing and miss. So um, there, there's always, you know, the the box line that you look at. You try not to look at. Obviously, that's how you know, that's how you're, you're judged and everything um, as far as the team looks at and all that aspect of it. But for me, it's about the you know the execution score, what I can work on, and where those misses are on when we're not executing the pitches.
2: Do you keep a diary as a kid too, or is this a uh, endeavor that you began when you got into pro ball?
0: No, I, I started this after, uh, after 19. So this has only been, gosh, we're going on what, our fourth season now of doing it.
1: Do you, how, much, how often do you go back and look at it? Like, in terms of, say, these division teams that you've now seen, I mean, a dozen plus times, right? We, I mean, like we talked about the Cardinals, right? Mm-hmm. How many times you faced them last year? How many times you've seen these hitters now? Is it, is it still a good resource for you to go back and revisit some of those?
0: Yeah, it's, it's always there. Um, there's not a ton of notes um, about the game in particular about certain hitters. Um, that's more that I have in in my game plan notes, which are which are separate from the from the uh, the journal. But um, yeah, there's some things you know I'll, I'll write down. Um, you know what, what I want to do better for that next week. So you know, for we're, we're going out for a bullpen that day. Um, if I want to kind of remind myself what you know some if it was a um, you know, attack plan type of thing that I can work on in a bullpen, um, or it could just be, hey, we just got too sped up that day. We need to work on you know breathing techniques and slowing back down. So um, it's one of those things. that It's good to look back at um, if there's a common issue that's coming up and seeing, hey, we're trying to fix it the same way every single week and it's not being fixed. So we need to try to kind of try to dig in here a little bit and find a new new technique. Uh, but for the most part, it's one of those things that we kind of log and it's just like a for me, it's it's just about tracking throughout the year. Um, you know, when we go through the stretches of hey, we've, we're not throwing the cutter good to the glove side. Um, you know, what are some of the things we worked on? Um, but for, yeah, for the most part, it's just there in case we do need it. Um, but there's not a ton of times that I'll go back and back and look at it unless I really have to.
2: Okay, let's rewind all the way back now. You're the pride of Bakersfield, California, and your dad worked in agriculture um, on the business side mostly. But did you grow up around farms? Uh, this is a good Wisconsin question. We're bringing it full circle.
0: A little bit. So I mean, growing up in Bakersfield, there's farms around you everywhere. Um, you know, my dad has been in been in ag ever since I was born. Um, you know, he's done everything from from nuts to citrus to to now um, wine and and you know, nurseries. Um, so he's kind of done it all. So I've I've kind of learned you know bits and pieces about everything. So it's kind of fun. When something comes up, and I can give some guys some some notes on some wines, or you know, citrus, or some nuts, or something, um, you know, I've, I've learned picked up some stuff over the years. But yeah, there, there's there'd be days that um, you know, in the summertime, go to work with dad and just see what he does, and you know, drive around the field, and he's cutting open oranges and um, you know, checking almond trees, whatever it may be, just to, to kind of see how the crops going. But um, yeah, definitely definitely did did a little bit amount of time um you know walking around some some fields for sure
2: it sounds like if we have a
1: charcuterie
2: that we need to put together for a party you're the guy
0: <laughs> I, don't, I had to go to my wife on that one she, she <laughs> she's the charcuterie girl
1: Corbin I mean when you were growing up like did you have jobs in that in any of those areas or were you strictly sports and school focused
0: I was strictly you know, sports in school and um and in, in in the summertime, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to be playing sports and traveling around and doing stuff and playing with friends. So I, I, I never worked in in that aspect of it. Um, always been you know a little interested in it, um, just because it's you know there's there's so much ag that goes on in Bakersfield. and surprisingly you know, a lot of you know what comes you know the U.S. is are you know consuming in citrus or nuts or whatever it comes from. From that Central Valley area, so it's kind of learned, cool to learn about that and learn about your history and your roots a little bit. But yeah, I was I was fortunate enough to to be playing sports. Um, gosh, every day of the the summer it seemed like we were doing something whether it was golfing or, or baseball or football or whatever.
1: I mean, and you you bring that up. You know, your golf background is something you still really enjoy doing. I know in the off season or when you get a chance to in the season, I feel like this topic comes up a lot with like multi sport athletes, right? And maybe kids that want to focus on baseball at a young age. Can you share kind of just what your experience was growing up, playing all those sports, and maybe kind of what ultimately ended up happening?
0: Yes, yeah, so I played just about, about every sport you could think of besides soccer. Um, you know, I, I grew up, probably the first sports that I played were were, were baseball, golf, and hockey. Um, hockey actually had a really big following at Bakersfield, so I played hockey for a long time. And, and really, for, for a long time, that's what I wanted to do um, until it got to the point where it was time to time to start traveling to do hockey, um, and all my friends went and played football, so that's when I started playing football. So, um, you know, played basketball in, in elementary school and junior high. D- didn't play basketball in, in high school. Really only played um, football and baseball in high school. So, you know, once you start getting over too many overlapping sports in in high school, your high school coaches don't like it too much, and they, <laughs> they want to make sure you're there for all the preseason workouts and everything. So, um, once I got to high school, I kind of had to pick two and and went with um, you know baseball and football. But you know, loved still loved hockey, still loved football. Um, you know, played them all from a really young age growing up, and and really didn't choose until I, until I basically had to, until I got to high school, and then um, one bad football injury in high school ended my football days. You know, so that that's when kind of became all baseball with with the golf on the side on the weekends. So um, I, I did as much as I can for as long as I could. I'm grateful that my, my parents were able to take me everything and, and support me through all that. But um, yeah, basically didn't let um, didn't let anything happen as far as you know. Dicking to one sport, I try to diversify as much as I can until until I really couldn't anymore.
2: Well, I think this will surprise no one. For a pitcher, you were a quarterback in high school. Yep. And it also should surprise no one that you're really good at golf because pitchers are, like, great at <laughs> golf, always. Way better than position players. Uh, how old were you when you broke par?
0: Ooh, that's a good one. That's, um... Gosh, probably probably eight or nine. Like it was. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it was, it was, oh, it was,
2: that's my average per hole yeah. when I golf.
0: No, it was it, it was it was pretty early on. My, we uh, I, I saw me and my brother and pretty much Tuesdays Thursdays and Saturdays every week during um, during the summertime we'd go out with my grandpa and they they had a men's group out there that we would there would be I don't know fourteen or fifteen of us out there playing and so you get in in a little, little little gambling games when we were like you know nine and ten years old with, with all the old guys out there. Um, and, yeah, and that's 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 where kind of we learned to play golf all the time. We also played in, in a bunch of small, like, junior tours, um, you know, which would be one day a week, um, typically on, like, a Monday or a Tuesday or something, so we were playing in those with, with kids our age, uh, me and my brother. But, um, yeah, I remember, geez, my first hole-in-one was I think about when I was seven or eight years old, and, oh. and and uh, yeah, it was, was – Consistently, probably breaking par by by the age of nine or ten. I don't play near as much as I used to. I'll, I'll play a couple rounds a year, and um, I'm, I'm at the point now I can go out and I can I, I can still break par without playing. But the more, you know, if I break par one day and I go out there and try to play a couple days a week, then it gets worse for a while. So I'm I'm good at playing the one round a month and, and going out there and being being right around par and being happy with it.
2: Who who else on this team is like is a great golfer? Uh
0: Woody's, Woody's pretty good golfer. Um, Wade Miley's pretty good golfer. Um, I'm trying to think of who else I've played with. Um, I think that's all I've played with. on the. Team.
2: No position players. I'm telling you, what's wrong with the hitters? I <laughs> don't want to mess up their swing.
0: <laughs> well, the only position players I, I've kn- known that have played, um, you know, a decent amount for the last couple of years was uh, Travis Shaw played, played a decent amount. Uh, Moustakis played a decent amount. Um, JBJ. JBJ played a lot. Um, Omar Navarez played a little bit. Um, so, the, yeah, there, there's a couple of position players over the last couple of years that have, that have played a decent amount.
1: Do you feel like um, for as mentally focused as you are, you know, and that's a huge part of your process, do you think golf or baseball is the more difficult sport mentally? If, like, if you can, you know, project yourself as a pro in both sports.
0: If, if I'm thinking pro in both, both sports, probably golf. Um, only because I've gotten to play with, um, I've played in the, uh, the the Pro-Am in Phoenix the last couple of years, and I've gotten talked to a lot of those guys, and I actually got to talk to their their mental coaches, um, which those are kind of the guys I, I gravitate toward now, which is kind of strangely enough. But, um, yeah, so I've gotten to talk to those guys a little bit. And, yeah, I mean, the, the thing with golf is, I mean, these rounds are five, five-and-a-half hours, so they're having to try to stay focused for five and five or five-and-a-half hours. And as a pitcher, we do it for maybe two, two-and-a-half Um but these guys have a lot more distractions. You're hitting a shot, and you've got maybe two minutes before you hit another shot. As a pitcher, we've now got 15 seconds between pitches. So it's a lot easier for us to stay focused. In between innings, you can come out of a little bit and then get back into it. So these guys are having to find that perfect routine of, of trying to stay focused, but not too focused, that you're worn out by the time you know the, the fifth hole rolls around. So um, from a pro standpoint, I, I would say golf, just because it's a lot longer, a lot more taxing on your mind, a um, lot more distractions. Um, for me, personally, I go out and I play golf. I don't, I, I don't, I don't care mentally about it all I'm, I'm out there getting pissed and throwing <laughs> clubs and stuff stuff I don't do too much on the mound but uh, for me it's I'm, I'm out there more having fun when I hit bad shots I get you know I get mad about it versus on the on the mound I throw, you know make a bad pitch I'm just going back to my routine and, and trying to and trying to shake it off and go on to the next one but um, yeah for the the pro side of it um, golf would golf would definitely be, be difficult
2: so in Bakersfield like what major what territory is that for a major league like what your kids you grew up with who who were they fans of? I know you're an Angels fan. That's what I'm getting to.
0: Yep, it was it was typically Angels or Dodgers. Um, Dodgers was the closest team um, to Bakersfield by maybe 10 miles, 12 miles. So it wasn't it wasn't like it was a huge difference. Um, so yeah, it was basically just kind of whoever, whatever family gravitated to, to what to what team. Um, for some reason, we always went to Angels games growing up versus Dodger games. We still went to a few Dodgers games. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't really know why or, or how that happened, but um, just always grew up watching the Angels, so I, I loved a lot, of the, a lot of the Angels players.
2: Well, the thing, I, I, it's in your media guide, it says your favorite players were Nolan Ryan and Jared Weaver. Mm-hmm. And I love that because if you could pick two, the two most different pitchers, at least Weaver by the end, yep. you know, where he was really pitching, um, they're, they're just different styles. Um, do you remember as a kid what drew you to each guy?
0: So I think it was it, Nolan Ryan because of the big fastball, um, big, big strikeout numbers, um, pitch for so long. Um, and then Weaver, it was, it, was, it was kind of the mindset, the nastiness on the mound. Um, yeah, he was up there pitching like he still had 97, 98, even though it was more like 85, 86. So that was kind of something that I, that I kind of gravitated toward. Um, and then watching you know videos of Nolan Ryan, knowing that he was kind of that same kind of nasty kind of way, and that's, that's how I wanted to be. You know, I, I, I didn't want to be up there, the guy that was kind of under the radar um yeah I wanted to be out there having that presence felt on the mound um and knowing that hey once I'm up there it's it's game time it's time to go
1: I was gonna say where do you feel like you've landed now like the pitcher you are today are you more like Nolan Ryan or are you more like Jared Weaver
0: I would I would say pitch stuff um I I don't think Weaver would be a great comp I think (laughs) I'd be doing myself a disservice there but as far as the the mental side of it goes I think they were both um very similar as far as how they how they attacked and you wouldn't have known it that you know, Weaver threw eighty five, and Nolan through hundred.
2: Your dad told me last year, two years ago maybe, that uh, Cal Ripken was also an influence on your career. Can, do you remember that story? Yes,
0: yeah, so that was so. My brother, um, he's, he's two years younger than me, they played in the Cal Ripken World Series um, when he was maybe ten years old. I think I was twelve, um, and and. Obviously, the the league was named after Kyle Ripken, so he had to make some sort of appearance. And so he kind of <laughs> he just talked to every team. And this was obviously he was he was done with his playing days, um, but just kind of talked about his big league career and what it took to get there. And um, you know, he was a guy that he he played freaking every day. Like it, it didn't matter what was going on. And so I think that was kind of his message of you know it doesn't matter how size you are, you know how, how big you are, what size you are, you know how, how hard you threw, how far you hit it. Um, if if you, know, if you wanted to play, you had the right mentality and the right attitude. You can go and play every day in the big leagues, and that's what he did.
1: Are there? I mean, I know you're extremely focused on you know yourself and your work and your process, but on days that you're not starting, are there other pitchers across the league that you like to watch, or that you like to check in on, or maybe you want you know that you you like to follow?
0: Not a ton. Um, I don't find myself watching too much baseball outside of our games. Um, you know, strangely enough, I, I watch a lot of golf videos, and, and if you came to my house in the morning, there's fishing on every day. So that's those are kind of my two things to escape from, from baseball. My wife hates it. Um, like today, we watched seven hours of fishing before I came to the field, so she was probably sick of it. Um, You're
1: not watching the Masters?
0: I watch a little bit of the Masters. Uh, the Masters is tough to watch. You you have to have certain certain channels and certain subscriptions, and the Masters make it really tough to, to watch. Um, but usually there's there's either some golf or some from some fishing. Usually fishing on the TV, which drives my wife crazy. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't watch a ton of baseball. And you know, if I'll check some scores every now and then. I'll check in to see how Hater's doing. Hater's obviously a good friend of mine, and some other guys that are I'm friends with across the league. I'll check in every now and then. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I'm not not really watching baseball or you know, don't keep up with it too much.
2: Fishing has drama, right? I mean, was it was it last year that there was the big cheating scandal with people yeah. shoving weights down the fish, you know, down the mouth of the fish?
0: That, that was in walleye fishing. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's more of a that's more of a Midwest. Um, that's that's a, you guys are used to walleye fishing. That's that's, <laughs> that's not me. That's it. We, we don't we don't see that fish down in Arizona. Do
2: you fish with Yuke?
0: I haven't. I have. So I've gone um, fishing once with Yuke, not out on his boat, um, just a little local pond that he knew. He knew the guy that owned it, so we went out there and had fun. And, um, yeah, Uke's, Uke's great. He's, he's probably even more fun out, you know, talking fishing and talking life than he is at the baseball field. So, uh, definitely definitely going to get him out on his boat one day. He wants to take me out there. Um, and so, I think uh, I think that's the plan when, when San Diego comes to town here in, a, I think, is that a month or so? Um, I think us and me and Hayter are going out with you. So, it'll be fun.
2: Yeah, Hayter told us about that, the little secret fishing spot so let's be sure not to tell anybody where it is <laughs> but but um Corbin I was gonna say in general you're your it doesn't surprise me to hear you say that you don't go home and watch another West Coast game like with Sophia and I when we talk to you we hear a lot of like work-life balance which is a good corporate buzzword but but some ball players like eat sleep live baseball and it seems to me like you're the kind of guy that when you leave the field like it is Brooke and Carter and and not baseball is is that something that you've developed or do you feel like you've always kind of been that more of that kind of guy
0: that's definitely something I'd, I developed more um af, after the tough 2019 um I think baseball was was taking over too much of my life um and knowing that if I was gonna have a long long career in this sport I was gonna have to separate it um I, I loved golf and I loved fishing at the time already so it was the perfect you know segue of hey let's when you leave the field leave baseball there let's you know when you go home Turn on golf, turn off. just you know, do something besides it. Then when 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 Carter was born, it becomes really easy too. Um, you get home from the field and you see him smiling. He doesn't he doesn't know what happened in the field that day. All he knows is, hey, I got some snacks over there. You want to you know, <laughs> I got that, that bottle of milk right there. You want to give me that milk? So he's he's got no idea what's going on. And I think that's been the you know one of the, the greatest blessings that you know me and Brick have had is um, you know when when the work day's over, it's 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 all Carter. You know, he's gets up at eight o'clock in the morning. It's go time until he goes down for his nap. And then I come to the field and then she's got her hands full when he wakes up from his nap. So um, it's, it's become very easy to, to separate baseball and life. And um, gosh, I think, but the, we have more fun personally. I have more fun right now at home with, with Carter and, and seeing him grow up and, and the craziness that's going on at home versus, versus being at the baseball field. Um, you know, I think that's, as bad as it sounds, um, you know baseball is still a game, and I love it, and it's fun. But um, it's it's still a job. We're still out here, you know, trying to perform the best we can and, and have a job. And job's always stressful. So when you can go home and and de-stress and have fun and and see him play with the dog and chasing the dog around, he's finally walking fully on his own now. So he chases the dog around everywhere. It's the greatest thing ever. So um, it's 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 just really fun to go home and, and see him grow up. And eventually, he's going to want to be in the clubhouse every single day. Yeah. Um, So that's going to be even more exhausting because I'm having by myself. But um, (laughs) yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. And just just watching him grow up and the the future kids that we we end up having. um, It's going to be the same type of thing.
1: Corbin, We were talking about that the other day is like your mornings before you come to the field. You're like, sometimes that part is harder. The harder part (laughs) of my day than coming to the field and doing your job. Um, But just with Carter and the age he's at, he's just over one now. As you said, he's starting to walk. He's more active now. How fun is this stage for you and Brooke? And, like, what are the things that you guys like to do with him when you're home or even when he's on the road with you guys?
0: Yeah, it's really – I mean, it's 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 really – you know, we've talked to a lot of parents and, you know, they say, like, one and two is, like, the best time because anything you do – it's either hilarious or it's super fun. So you, I mean, we, we we find ourselves doing the, mo- the dumbest things around the house just because he's laughing. So you just keep doing it because he's he's still laughing until eventually he gets <laughs> laughing. You're like, hey, what are we doing? I'm like, oh, okay, let's do something else. So it's it's just fun. Um, you, he loves being outside. So the first couple weeks, we've you know, first week we've been here has been tough because it's been cold and windy. And um, you know, Brick was having him outside for three or four hours a day when we were in Arizona, running around back and chasing the dogs. So um, it'll be nice once the weather warms up here to, to get him to the playground, and get him in the park. Um, you let him run around and be outside again. But, um, yeah, right now it's it's kind of shuffling between the rooms. If he gets, he gets bored of one room and starts to get fussy, you take him to another room, so you just kind of spread the, spread the toys out around the house or tell the dog to go run around, and he chases the dog for a little while. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely fun. Um, you know, we, we love getting out of the house, and the kid loves to eat, so we can go to any restaurant he'll sit there and just eat, and we can enjoy ourselves and have a meal. So um, he's been, been a very easy child.
2: If I ask you his favorite spot, will it be too many fans showing up to try to get an autograph? He's,
0: he's still – his favorite spot is whatever mom brings, and we can we can <laughs> sit there and, and enjoy a meal. So eventually he will have a favorite spot. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out eventually, but right now it's whatever mom brings, and as long as you've got enough of it and you can keep giving it to him the entire meal, he's happy.
1: When's he going to start fishing and golfing with you?
0: He he, he smacks around the he, – he's got the plastic clubs at home, so he's still getting there. Um, he's, it's, he, now that he can stand up on his own, he's starting to, to get a little more interested in it. Um, he, he doesn't like swinging a bat. He likes throwing the ball more than swinging the bat, so I, I don't know if he, he got that from me or what. Um, but fishing might might still be a little while. That takes a little bit more patience, a little bit more focus. But, um, yeah, that's the, that'll be definitely something that we do a lot of this offseason.
2: Speaking of – years not really can you believe that it's almost five years since you debuted in the big leagues
0: that's it's it's crazy you know my, my wife brought it up the other day that you know i think we're we're going on yeah it's just this the sixth part of the sixth season in, in the big leagues um so it's it's crazy that you know it just seems like the other day we were i was calling her and when we were in colorado springs that she so happened to be visiting when i was in colorado springs um, for like four or five days, and happened to call when she was there, so she got to help me pack. She's remember that day we were scrambling to pack up the you know the apartment because we, we were jumping on a plane to to go to Milwaukee that day, which when then I think spent more days on a plane, uh, more time on a plane that day than anything, because then we went to Miami that night. Mm-hmm. So that was a that was a, that was a lot of lot of traveling that day. But um, yeah, it's crazy to think back to f- of how quickly it's gone. Um, obviously, we missed part of the season with with the COVID year. Um, so that kind of made that year go really quick, but it just seems like every year just goes quicker and quicker. And, you know, before we know it, we'll be, be free agents and and whatever happens, happens. And, you know, 10 years, maybe down the road, we're, we're hanging it up. And it's, it's, um, for for me, it's, it's the end of my career is gonna be exciting just because we're gonna have, we're gonna have kids and, um, you know, moving on to that next chapter, but, um, yeah, it's just crazy how fast that it can, it can go just, Talking to Lokane and some of these other guys that are, you know, veteran guys that are getting ready to hang it up, it's just, it's crazy how fast it goes because they can sit there and think back to the day they debuted, you know, 15 years ago. So it's just kind of crazy how quick it goes.
1: And we've had so many debuts already, Mm -hmm. one week into the season, and, you know, talking to Bryce and Joey and, and Gus. And does it, we've heard from a lot of the veteran guys that it takes you back. Have you found yourself doing any of that, of thinking back to that day in Miami? Your first pitch in the big leagues, like, you know, what that debut experience and the call up is like. Yes,
0: yeah, so I think we were in the we were in the clubhouse the other day in Chicago um, and Gus was talking about how he punched out. Um, was it Horner? I think he, he struck out for his first struck out or something like that. And he's and Wade's like, oh, you'll never forget your first strikeout. And Wade was saying his first strikeout, and I was like, Wade, to be honest, he's like, I have no idea who my first strikeout. Looks. He's like, what? You don't remember? I said, no, it was against the Marlins. Those guys that were coming up and down all year. I said, I don't, I don't know, so we had to look it up. Um, it was actually it was Brian Holiday um, who was the catcher at the time, but mm-hmm. I had I had no idea. Like I was like, I, mean, I, I know I got two innings in a save that day, which hadn't been done in a long time. So he's like, oh, that's cool. You'll remember that. I said, yeah, but I'm not gonna remember who I struck out. And Gus's like, oh, I'll never forget. I said, okay, we'll see in five years, Gus. We'll see if you remember. So. <laughs>
2: He'll remember you chucked your first pitch to the backstop, yep. Yep. which you know, and then it was like the best rebound ever and got the save.
0: Yeah, I'll blame that one on Kratz. He didn't get a glove on it, so that's <laughs> Kratz's fault. Yeah, blame Eric.
1: Blame, yeah. always blame the catcher, yep. right? Got to. I think it was like a hundred to the backstop.
0: Right? I don't know if it was that hard. I, 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 I don't have up. many. I don't have many of those in my career. Those I I, those are few and far between, especially now. So, but yeah, it, was, it may have been may have been a hard one, but not that hard.
2: Corbin, is this team fun so far? Sophia said it's, you know, the, the young guys have all had these moments. Jason Schauger has the authenticator get the baseballs, and then he puts it in a case, and it's all these kids there first. And then Wade Miley is 100th uh, career victory. As, as uh, Roddy Tellez told us, he celebrated 100 years in the big leagues. Um, but has it been, you know, it's been a pretty entertaining start for the group.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely been fun. Um, I think everyone could see the energy they bring. Um, not only on the field, but in the clubhouse, um, you know, it, it definitely gives some of the older guys some, some you know, some more guys to, to crack jokes on and have some fun with. And so it just lightens up the lightens up the clubhouse. They bring a different energy to the field. Um, there's nothing like, you know, that first year you're up that you're playing hard every day and you're trying to stay in the big leagues now that you've made it. So um, you know, I st- definitely still remember that feeling. But um, yeah, they've, they've come up, they've performed, they've done well. Um, they've, they've been the spark plug. And I think just about every big rally we've had and um, even, even Winker the other day was like, hey, coach, you always got to have a freshman in there. These guys do some cool stuff. So uh, that, that gave us a good kick. But it's true. I mean, these the, the, they're out there playing their butt off. And it seems like everything that gets happened, you know, one of them is tied up in
1: it. Adam brought up Wade. I mean, to think about 100 career wins, I think that's a huge milestone for any starter. I mean, how much respect do you have for a guy like Wade, the career he's put together, and to get to that mark? I mean, you'll, you'll get there. Um, soon but you know just just to think about like man you know Craig called it a longevity milestone and that's the career that I think probably every starter wants to have
0: yeah I mean Wade's done it very well for a long time um you know he's played all across the league he's played for a bunch of teams um so he's been everywhere he's seen it all and um I, I think kind of the the more knowledge we like to to gain from from Wade is just about you know some of the guys he's faced in the past and just you know sharing stories about you know when he came up who the guys that he played with because a lot of those guys were the guys that we were watching on tv in in high school um so it's just kind of cool like whenever i i think back to recent years when we've had um the other veterans like Ju gonzalez and some of these guys that have you know been since retired um, jordan zimmerman he was here for a couple of days like just those guys that have you know played in different you know leagues that we haven't played in just to you know ask questions about certain players and guys and hey how was this guy and just just, just hearing their take on the game and how much it's changed over the years it's just it's really cool to to you know get the background of those guys and and the the, the careers they've had and for you know for way getting that 100th win it's, it's awesome you know I think I saw a stat that he's one of I think 10 guys in the last 20 years to, to, to get 100 wins and the, the a lot of those lefties on that name are some some big names so it's it's just cool to to get group in those guys and um, I think he said this is what 14th year I think you said in the big league so it's its it's been it's pretty impressive
2: he also made a good investment. You talked about wine earlier, into nice some, some nice champagne, right?
0: Yeah, he's he's been he he, he bought a bunch of uh, yeah I think it's the ace of spades, the champagne to to hand out to guys and. Um, I, I think Rowdy was like, "Hey, where were you when I was a freshman? I need, I need some of this stuff." Of course, Rowdy. Um, yeah, he's he, he's doing a lot of cool things and and a lot of nice things for these guys that um you know they'll they'll remember and um you're definitely putting putting his stamp and his mark on a lot of these guys' careers.
2: You mentioned this at the beginning that you know you've picked up some good wines over the course of you know from from being around your dad. Do you want to leave anyone with a like a vineyard we should check out? And remembering that you know. Let's keep it in a sports writer. salary. Sophia's got the big TV salary, <laughs> but as a sports writer, I mean, I need something I can actually
0: go buy. Yeah, what i see, my go-to's right now. Um, I, so I, I, I like Camus. Obviously, Camus is toward the toward the mm-hmm. top end, but there's a red blend um, that's the the Walking Fool. It's it's Camus Suisen. So Suizen is also another branch of Camus. Um, it's a lot lot more affordable price. Um, and then there's a couple of good Dow red blends that are kind of off the off the beaten path um that are that are pretty good as well that that, that uh, me and Brick have been getting into. Corbin, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you guys, appreciate it.
1: Tim, I know you got a chance to listen to the conversation as well with Corbin. Just overall, kind of what'd you take away from the conversation and maybe if you learned something about Corbin that you didn't know before.
3: Well, I think any any pitcher, any baseball player should listen to it and come away with you don't have to take the game away from the field right like once you leave the field leave it there and the younger you can learn that the better so that's that's what you want you don't want you know your premier starter going home and sulking all the time you want him to go home and get away from whatever happened is happening good and bad because a lot of times if things are going really well you go home and you start you know mulling that stuff over i did this you know i did it for 20 years and i the hardest part i think at the beginning of my career was to to shake the good and the bad and not take it home with you. So yeah, sometimes you just got to turn fishing on the TV.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I honestly think that that was also my favorite part of our chat with him. And uh, that is something that I think all of us outside the clubhouse have such a hard time understanding the ability of baseball players to leave what happened at the field at the field. Cause like the fans, I see it in my mentions You live with this and it hurts and it's day to day. And when they're in a bad streak, which surely will happen, it happens to every team, you carry it from day to day. And the players don't do that. You walk in the clubhouse and it's the same as it was on opening day. It's unbelievable skill that they have.
1: Yeah. I think we all really enjoyed the conversation with Corbin. I think there's a lot of different things that I think fans and people that know Corbin personally, um, that interact with him as much as we do. I think we all, took away something fun from that conversation. So we've got a lot more to get to here on Brewers Unfiltered. Long road trip for the crew, 10 games along the West Coast. The bullpen has been great. And Craig Council is hitting another career milestone while the team is here in Arizona. So we've got all that coming up on Brewers Unfiltered.
3: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: Tonight, Tuesday, as we're sitting here in Arizona, Craig Council is going to set a new franchise record for games managed, passing Phil Garner with 1,181 games, going all the way back, of course, to May of 2015, when he was hired as the Brewers manager. Now, in his ninth season later, here we are, he's setting this milestone, of course, last year was really the big one when he became the all-time winningest manager in Brewers history, also passing Phil Garner. So... I mean, it feels like it, we do a lot of these milestones, right? And Craig doesn't love to talk about these milestones, but he was willing to talk about it a little bit yesterday. Um, but to do this one, right? It's this is a longevity milestone. Um, now in his ninth season, what do you guys think about just that number um, and that milestone, and and Craig just leading Brewers baseball for this long?
2: Well, I'll I'll speak um, to. I remember when he took over that job, Clayton Kershaw pitched against the Brewers and the Brewers won Council's first game as a manager. And Tyler Kepner from the New York Times wrote a really cool sort of profile of Council this week as he reached this big number. And if, if people haven't seen that, I would highly recommend checking it out. Tyler is one of the best writers in baseball, first of all. So everything he writes is worth checking out. He always finds such a neat angle. Um, but but it was interesting to hear counsel talk about, like, I don't think he knew if this was going to be a long-term assignment when he took that job. And it was also really interesting to hear him uh, or read him talk about that, you know, it's a reminder that he had not managed or coached. He came into this from a player, then transitioned into being a special assistant to Doug Melvin. And remember, he learned all the different facets of the front office. He went to scout ASU games with Zach Grinke. He learned about arbitration. He learned about contract negotiation. And it looked like maybe his future was going to be in the front office. And then this situation came along where the Brewers felt like they needed a change after the way 2014 ended and and 15 began. And they go to this hometown guy who has all the tools to be a great manager, but had never done it. And council doesn't really... I don't know that he often makes himself vulnerable in in his comments to us about this kind of stuff, but I thought to Tyler he did, and I thought that was really cool. So, again, I would just recommend everybody uh, get a little trial membership to the New York Times if you don't have it already and check out that that article because it was a really great insight into his thinking about when he took the job and sort of where he is now.
3: Well, now we don't have to subscribe. You just gave away all the... All the good stuff in there. Thanks, Adam. Hey, sorry. Sorry, New York Times. No wonder they're failing.
2: I'm giving away all their stuff.
3: Yeah, they're going to find you. Um, I mean, already he had a legacy when it comes to Brewers baseball, just uh, what he did as a player. And, you know, I was lucky to be teammates with him. And yes, he, to me, he did have all the skills. He had all the skills when he was a player to be a manager. You don't stick around baseball this long and not pick up, you know, some sort of facet from every position, every angle of the field, um, including coaches. So I, you're right. Maybe he didn't think it was going to be a long term thing, but I don't think anybody's surprised that he was, you know, excelled at it. And what I think is really good is just knowing him the way I know him is he probably doesn't think much of it other than he measures it with the people that he's come in contact with his coaches, his players, you know, the, the, the village that it takes. Um, every day and the hard work that they put in to make this organization what it is I mean that's he's the you know he's pumping the the blood through this entire you know culture of Brewers baseball like it stemmed from him when he came in he set the tone and he still does that so to me that's you know the legacy as a player and now the legacy as a manager I mean he's solidified himself um and in, in Brewers you know fandom and culture forever
1: it was interesting to hear him kind of follow up on those comments that he made in the New York Times article to Tyler um, yesterday here in Arizona when he was asked about it. And he he reiterated a lot of that same stuff. He said, look, like, you don't go to school to become a a major league manager, right? There's no program for this. You don't learn this. Adam said, you know, he didn't have any previous coaching or managing experience. But what he does know is, is people, you know, and, and we talked about that of like, he knew that the brewers were important to him and he wanted to make the brewers important to the rest of the state of Wisconsin. He -hmm. wanted to make the brewers relevant. you know, he, that's what continues to drive him, right. Is he knows how much he cares about the organization and the team, what it means to him personally and what it would mean to win right with this organization and what it means to the fans and what it means you know just the the community um he gets all of that and I think you know he said he was like I didn't know you know what I was doing at the time and you know of course he joked he's like some people might argue I still don't know what I'm doing you know he said (laughs) it's a job that you're just constantly learning at but the biggest part of his job is the people it's the relationships it's it's managing people, it's managing personalities, obviously turnover year to year. This one's this, this season has been a pretty significant one, you know, top down. And even when you look at the active roster. So I thought it was really cool to kind of hear him talk about that. Um, he doesn't get very nostalgic. We know that. He doesn't like to yeah. reflect too much on that stuff, but... Um, it is a big number and it's, it's very cool to see him do it. So, well,
2: I'll, one thing that people don't get to see, and I think this is reflective of the council influence, the nameplates in the lockers at American family field. Did you guys notice this? It's the player's number and name above their locker. And then under it, it says connected, which is like a little council touch or, you know, probably Jason Schrager as well. And, uh, Tony Migliaccio But that's the that if you had to say one theme of the Craig Council managerial tenure, it's that it's connectedness. That's really what he wants this club to be about. And it's about the team inside the clubhouse. And I think for him, because he's from here uh, or grew up here, at least it's about the connection to the community as well. And that sounds like platitudes. It sounds like cliche, but it is really legitimately important to him. And I thought it was a cool touch that it's this year on the nameplates.
1: You know, for fans, like when we walk out of the clubhouse, through the hallway, past Craig's office and past the, the coach's office and out to the dugout. It's a huge wall, the wind wall, uh, what we've talked a little bit about. And then across from that, it's a big mural and it's players, it's city, it's and it says connected. I mean, it's a very clear message.
2: We should do a tour. You should do it. Get a get permission one time to do a little video walkthrough. Because it's cool to see, because it's the wind you say it's the wind wall on one side. I wrote about that last year, so people can Google that one. But it's a really cool walk. And by the way, it hasn't always been connected like that, because in that same hallway in the early, probably 2002, and they had sort of a tough year, to put it mildly, there was a, a human-shaped hole in one of those walls where a player had pushed another player through the drywall. So I'm not sure that connectedness was always uh, a <laughs> given. So it's pretty nice that now it is.
3: Well, that's not a. That's not like a. Uh, you know, he didn't just come up with that. You know, in the last few years, I was in spring training in minor league camp in 2018, and he came over to speak to all of us, and we're all sitting in the weight room, and that was his message. He said, "Stay connected." He's like, "That's what you have to do." he's like, for all of us to get through this and then to be successful, it's about not just what we're doing on the field, but you got to be hanging out off the field, you know, and you got to embrace this whole lifestyle together." To kind of make it all work so i i just you know hearing that is that's what every player wants so for him to carry that over to the managerial side is is big
1: well a good news for craig council uh as he's making this milestone and as we're starting off this really long road trip uh starting here in arizona is the bullpen um and their success as a group and look we, we talked about it you know in spring training there was a lot of like unfamiliarity there were new faces um you know, some of some of the same faces from last year, but guys, what a week this bullpen had. Um, currently on a 26-and-a-third scoreless inning stretch. Uh, they've been great. Everyone has stepped up. Um, and And coincidentally, like Devin Williams has maybe pitched the least amount of innings for this group so far with some of the big leads and lopsided games that they've had in terms of winning these series. So what is your assessment of just what we've seen from the bullpen in these first 10 games.
3: The bullpen, we're, we're used to saying how good the bullpen is for the Brewers. We are, but what makes this year different is there's a bunch of new faces and there's a bunch of new names. And, you know, there's a, some roles that need to be filled. And, uh, but they've been outstanding. I mean, they've, they, they're like a bathroom mat. They rarely slip up. And <laughs> when you play so many close games, that, that matters. And the Brewers really hadn't played a whole lot of close games because their offense is, you know, scoring, what, five and a half runs a game and the bullpen's giving up, um, you know, nothing. Pitchers in general for the Brewers, like only giving up two and a half runs per game. So right now is a really good, really good stretch for this team. And the bullpen's leading that way. They don't care if, you know, the team's being shut out or if they're up by 10. Like that's what I love. When I'm looking at assessing a bullpen, it can look one way when it's a close game and like, oh, yeah, you guys really pulled it out. But when you're up by 10 or down by 10, what does it look like? So they're pitching in the same. It doesn't matter. They're going out there and and just giving up weak contact. It's not strikeouts galore like maybe it used to be in the past. And what you're getting is a lot of guys with really good pitches crafted in the zone to induce weak contact. To get easy outs and instead of trying so hard to get that strikeout they're just letting guys get themselves out on three pitches or less that right there is to me the biggest difference than maybe the years past is this one is just pitching more to contact not really caring about the strikeouts and it's and it's working
2: well for all of those same reasons tim just said put me down for now being the, the the scribe in this group the crusty scribe as skeptical about this this group because Sometimes, and you know this, Tim, sometimes the situation calls for strikeouts when you're a reliever. And the Brewers have had weapons over the last five years of this great run that they've had, five, six years, where they've been able to call upon guys to get the strikeout when they need it. Brad Boxberger, the bases loaded specialist. Jeremy Jeffress, before that, had this knack of coming into, you know, second and third, no outs, one run game, and walking off the mound with the lead. And this year, the Brewers, this is an early glimpse in my stat of the week. They're 26th in baseball, Brewers relievers are, with an 18.4% strikeout rate. So they have a, the, the, the teams that they're better at in strikeout rate are Miami, Detroit, Washington, and Oakland. So they're at the bottom of that list. And I, I mean, they're relying on a great defense. And the Brewers do look like they have an improved defense with Brian Anderson at third a lot and these kids running around the outfield it looks like that's an area of the team that's better. So they're playing to that strength and and they're having a lot of success right now. And it is a great thing with all these new faces and all these uncertain roles in front of Devin Williams for these guys to be having success because Craig Council is able to make a lot of good choices. Um, but I'm just going to remain a little skeptical for now and let them get out into the season and keep doing it. And if they keep doing it, then I'll eat crow on a future podcast. You can go to at Adam
3: McAlvey on Twitter. <laughs>
1: Hot takes exposed. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that's so that, that's kind of, um, you know, it is a very small sample size. It's 10 games. I do think it's important, though, uh, for some of these guys individually and as a group to have success, to build the confidence, right? Knowing that Obviously, they're going to give up runs. Um, There are going to be individual periods of struggle. Um, They have not made a roster move yet in that group, but inevitably that will come. That's just always part of a season. So we know that there's going to be changes to that group at some point. But So do you guys think, is it too early or you want to see more? Adam kind of alluded to this of... You know, we went into this knowing the starting rotation was the strength of this team, but the bullpen has really held its own as well, which I think is really encouraging to see.
2: Yeah. Put me down as wanting to see more, but also Sophia totally agree that it's super encouraging. And I think really important. I would point out, I would point to Peter Strzelecki. I would point to Hobie Milner is two guys who had success last year and the brewers are very much counting on them having more success this year. In that really important bridge spot, the kind of Brad Boxberger-ish inning that gets you to Matt Bush and Devin Williams at the end. So I think those two
3: guys have been great so far, and that's really really big for them. Absolutely, and I, I'll, you also have to throw the you know the starting pitchers. They've had four quality starts in ten games. Probably could have easily been six in some regard. Um, But they've just and they're going to come around and just be what they've been in the past. I mean, this this whole team is geared around this starting rotation and everything complements that. So, I mean, I don't know what the team's going to look like going forward, but it's it's all going to stem from that starting rotation. The bullpen is just uh, is is absolutely nails and they're just keeping up with what those guys are doing when they start the game.
1: Well, I mean, Craig says that all the time. We're going to bring it back connected, right? The starting rotation and the bullpen are always connected because they need the starting rotation to do those quality starts, right? They, they are counting on that. And how often do we talk about it, right? Where, what the starting rotation does dictate the decisions that Craig makes in the bullpen, who's available, right. And putting guys in good spots to succeed and good matchups. And that's how you hope that they have success. So that's all been part of it. Um, but we are at the start of a long 10-game road trip here, three games against the Diamondbacks, then four games against the Padres, and finishing up with a trip to Seattle, which will be fun, I think, for everybody. Haven't The team has not been to Seattle in a long time, so we'll finish up with three games against the Mariners. Uh, just things to watch on this road trip, guys, as we're hitting these three cities and maybe a series that you're most interested in.
2: Well, I have a sandwich shop recommendation in Seattle, so I'm looking forward <laughs> to lunch in Seattle. And, um, probably that,
1: it, food for us,
2: <laughs> exactly. Uh, the, the Padres series for me, I mean, come on, the Padres are the most fascinating team in major league baseball. They, they are, and that'll be a great series. And it's, uh, the reconnection with Josh Hader. So for people like Corbin Burns, that's his best friend in baseball. And there's plenty of other guys who love Josh Hader. So it'll be really weird to see Hader out there in what do you call them? Brown pinstripes, whatever they are that that sand is that the color of
3: their uniforms (laughs) the
2: sand pinstripes murky
3: um, brown yeah it'll
2: be very very strange um and i think it'll be strange for everybody so that should be uh an
3: entertaining series yeah i'm gonna say the padre series too but i mean those are good reasons but for for me it's different i think i'm looking at it strategically and I'm looking at is the Padres don't have Joe Musgrove and they don't have Fernando Tatis Jr., who they're probably both of those guys could be coming back in the next couple of weeks. I think Tatis is coming back the 20th of this month. So I mean they have a chance right now to say, hey, maybe they're not as as lethal as they could be. And now you have a chance to maybe you know, get gets an extra win in there than that maybe those two guys could influence. So anyway, I look at it more strategically, like they have a chance to go through their to San Diego and 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 put up some W's. That's that's big moving forward.
1: Uh yeah, I mean I think I think the Padres is always going to be a, a good series. Um they you know they were very active in the offseason. Um and again, they're going to be a very different looking team in the second half when you get Tatis back, like Tim said, when you get Musgrove back. So I think what's been interesting about the April schedule overall is it's it's been a very challenging schedule for them. I mean, you look at the homestand, they had to go through the Mets and the Cardinals, um, both playoff teams, both of the better lineups in the National League. The Diamondbacks, uh, with their young talent, feel very similar to the Brewers in terms of like, young, athletic, speedy outfielders. Um, they have good pitching as well. If It feels like the Diamondbacks really took a turn. And then now you've got the Padres, again, just like a juggernaut lineup in the National League. So I think we're learning a lot about this pitching staff too, about like they're being tested right away. Um, and then I think Seattle will be fun just because team has not been there in so long. And again, this is part of the balanced schedule that we've talked about a lot. It's like we get to see some of these guys that we haven't really gotten to see up close. So I'm excited about that one, but we're going to take a quick break here on Brewers unfiltered. And then we're going to finish up with our rapid round, our stat of the week. Adam kind of already alluded to mine, but we got Uh-oh. a lot more going oh. up here at Brewers. I unfiltered. always
2: do that. I always steal <laughs> your guys' stats. I'm so good at that. <laughs>
1: Okay, guys, back here on Brewers Unfiltered, some rapid round questions for you. Uh, With the team so far, 7-3 through the first 10 games, good news, they are near the top of the National League in these categories. Runs, on-base percentage, home runs, walks, and starter and bullpen earned run average. So which of these stats are you betting to be the most sustainable for this team moving forward?
3: Tim, you're our stats expert. Tell me stat the 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 local stat rat um well i think the safe guesses i wrote down is going to be walks um that the the hitters get they just they, they they've shown a track record of that going back to last year they're doing it again doesn't seem to be any signs of slowing down at all and then starter era you know they have you know so many good starters um I, I think that's going to stay consistent and, you know, hopefully everything does the offense and hopefully the defense is there, but I'm going to say the hitters taking walks and the starter ERA.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll go. The total safe bet for me is starter ERA. This is a team built on the starting pitching. They've got some really encouraging early starts from Wade Miley. They didn't win the one obviously Monday night cause they didn't score a run. And um, Tom Hodgricord is the one who taught me. You, it's really hard to win a game when you don't score. So um, yeah, I have carried that with me through my career, but, but I think it's really encouraging and really important because with Aaron Ashby now down for potentially the entire season, at least the vast majority of the season, and with Adrian Hauser still out, but starting to work his way back, but coming back as a reliever, they really need those top five starters to be durable and make their outings. And so far, um, you know, good signs in, in little snippets from all of them. Um, so I, I'll definitely say starter ERA.
1: I will say starter ERA. And I will also say on base percentage, just because I think what we've seen from this offense is it is more, I mean, we, they have they're certainly capable of hitting their home runs, but I think they're, we're seeing a lot more contact and the walks combined. I think it just will hopefully bode for good things in terms of a consistent, strong on base percentage. So I'm going to go with those. And then of course the cheese head. <laughs> We would be a failure of a podcast if we did not discuss the cheese head.
2: We're all wearing cheese heads right now as we talk to
1: each other. <laughs> we should
2: People can't see that, but we are.
1: People yeah. can't see it, but we are wearing cheese heads. Um, so, you know, on the homestand, we got to see the the home run cheese stud. It came out Tuesday night. They picked a great night to bring it out, even though it had been sitting there for days, just <laughs> begging to be used. Even after Bryce Turing's Grand Slam, they didn't use it. But Tuesday night when they went back to back to back, off of max scherzer uh and then followed up with two more five homers on the night for them we've now gotten to see the cheese head a lot ever since that night so when you think about all the home run celebrations where does the cheese head ring for you guys
3: well are they taking the cheese head on the road we need to know that okay it is okay just confirmation yeah
1: The cheese head has traveled.
3: And it was at Wrigley. It just
2: didn't get used. It was cold and they didn't hit any homers. The Brewers and Blue Jays were the only teams to not homer in the opening series. And now the Brewers have made up for it. And we asked about that, about why didn't Terran get the cheese head after his home opener Grand Slam? And the best answer I've heard is they forgot.
1: Yeah, they just didn't think of it. I think everyone was so caught up in the moment. You know, I think it was just such a monster moment. And then the curtain call and everything. I think they just forgot. <laughs> I think they were overwhelmed.
3: Well, I mean, it wouldn't look as cool if he does a curtain call and he's got to take the cheese head off. Oh, that's <laughs> perfect. Is that off better? That would honestly yeah. make
1: it like even more like go Even
3: more viral. Yeah, and that would have been cool. Well, what's your, do
2: we have to say our favorite? Is that the idea?
1: Well, yeah, or just um, oh, what, do it? Or, what do you think about it? What do you think about it? Do you like other home run celebrations more? I'm a
2: fan of the home run celebration. I think it's cool that each team kind of has their own thing. The Angels have this helmet going on. The Orioles have, uh, what are they calling it? The hydration tube. It's a beer bong that's repurposed as, <laughs> a, tube. as a water hydration <laughs> celebration. I mean, hydration is very important. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's great. Uh, I, <laughs> I fully support the Orioles. I think it's cool teams doing that. It's totally fun. I mean, I don't know if we were talking about this before, Tim, like, I do you do it when you're down 20 to nothing and yeah. you hit a solo Homer, it's a little weird. I don't know. Teams just have to navigate that. Yeah. But I for Brewers celebrations, the best one um, for me was um, well, I know what Tim's gonna say, so I'll stay away from that one. But it the uh, I thought the Fielder Braun boxing thing was really cool because was it was cool. just two star players, and it just was a time in Brewers history where so many cool things were happening that um, it was a little bit of the team had had great life at that time and. It was uh, it was it was something really special. So that, that one stands out to me is probably the one that I like the best.
3: Well, you we saw it like eighty times <laughs>
2: yeah. one season. Like that's a lot. You you always had to watch too to like, oh someone's gonna like miss and actually miss. Like punch I know. The guy I was, the face.
3: everybody's holding their breath. Um, I'm gonna say the big one is it's gotta be Prince when he hit the walk-off homer in two thousand nine, jumped on home plate, the bowling I guess it was like the bowling pin thing and everyone fell. And I was sitting at home watching. I didn't get called up that year. <laughs> I just thought that is the coolest thing ever. And I wish I was a part of it. I wish I was in the back, being the bowling pin that kind of hangs up for a second. Like you, oh, is he going? Is it going to fall? And then, and then just eat council it. was like one of the last ones
2: to go, but he did it. He did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just That's so a cool. Maury Gash photo, by the way. The AP photographer is named Maury Gash, who caught the famous photo we've all seen of that. It's great. It's actually in a book I did called Milwaukee Brewers at Fifty that I rarely mention and and didn't really do much promoting on, but but it is in that book. Is this a plugging
3: rapid round? Oh, I, I mean no, I I, I just never <laughs> mentioned kidding. that I did that, so I just wanted to throw it in there. We did get yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think it's funny that what? How long ago was that? Uh, 14 years ago. And think about all the flack that kind of came from that. Like he oh, got you he got it?
2: plunked the next year in spring Yeah, are you by me? Look with up, a curveball. Far we've come.
3: Yeah, a curveball. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I mean, I think at that, especially a walk-off, like do whatever you want. Like that's, that's, you know, there's, it's okay to do that. But if we're doing, you know, shameless plugs, we got to plug this podcast as well. So yeah, if, get a chance, send us a review and give us a five-star review as well. Thank you. All right.
1: That plug deserves a five-star review. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, look, the the brewers, we, they love, they love a good home run celebration. I mean, like, we've seen... Flaws. We've seen the infinity gauntlet glove. We, um, where Aaron Perez had like a confetti gun at one point. I mean, they've come up with so many different versions of this, but I, I think it's funny to hear the players talk about it. Like I think when you're coming from anywhere outside of the state of Wisconsin, they're like, yeah, never seen one, uh, never worn one. It's just like so foreign to them, but obviously it fits. And I do kind of think I do like that part of it. It's just, it's very, Very true to Wisconsin, you know. And we're
2: seeing him in the stands now. I mean, you get him at Packers games, but I don't, you don't often see them at Brewers games. And now when you look around the stadium, you're
3: seeing cheeseheads. Yeah. Sophia, you're probably glad the home run bell is gone. Seems like you're you're (laughs) down in the dugout right next to that bell. in every game, they're just ringing this bell for you. Super loud. Yeah, I was The the bell was just okay.
1: (laughs) It was good. It was good. Listen, I'm not, I'm not here to ruin anyone's fun. So, okay, stat of the week. Um, Tim, I'm going to put you on the spot for stat of the week. You want me to go
3: first? All right. Do you want yeah. a serious one or my my? All right. I'm going to do one. I'm going to do this one. It. My uh, stat of the week is eight. Eight is how many full innings American Family Field will be selling alcohol from now on. I just read an article that that's what they're doing. They're selling it through the eighth because the games are going so fast um and they i know for a fact that teams have done this in the minor leagues with the with the pitch clock last year uh just so they can get their full beer sales but yeah just read an article that said that uh yeah the brewers are making that making that change so 8 is the magic number now that's a great stat that's in that's an adam style
2: <laughs> stat that didn't involve any searching yeah
1: and an adam mcAlvey article ooh
2: maybe maybe shameless
1: plug <laughs> my stat
2: is well, I'll say 15, which is the Brewers' major league rank. Since I mentioned the strikeout rate of the relievers before, the starters are 15th in the majors right now with a 21.3% strikeout rate, which I Wade Miley's not going to strike out a lot of guys, but I'm going to bet on that number coming way up. I think Corbin Burns' strikeouts have been down. Um, Eric Lauer's strikeouts have been down, and he's working through some mechanical stuff. But um, – Freddie Peralta and Brandon Wood have been great so far. I think that that's a number that's going to come up, and that the fact that they rank that low right now I, I think should give Brewers fans some optimism that there's uh, there's room for that group to kind of reach their ceiling and that that starters group has not gotten going. We've, we've talked a lot about the offense so far. We've talked tons about the bullpen, but the starters are kind of getting into it um, still, and I think they're going to be better than they have been and that's one number I expect to go.
3: Agreed.
1: Um, I was going to use the 18% of the bullpen strikeout rate. Um, but Adam, Adam mentioned that one. And, and I'm okay with it cut. because I, I think it's a really interesting number. And I'm kind of curious where that number goes as well, Adam. And you, you pointed out the comparison with the starters that, you know, by comparison, that number isn't much higher either. So um I just think that is a really unique trait, though, for a bullpen and very different from how we've seen it constructed in the past. And I'm curious, kind of where that number goes. So that's something definitely to keep an eye on. But my second stat uh, will be 0. 0.75, and that is Freddie Peralta's earned run average through his first two starts. And Brandon Woodruff is just behind him. I think he's like 79. seven nine
2: point seven
1: seven nine seven. Yeah. So um, I just think. For Freddie, you could not ask for a better start to the season. Uh, For him to get over 100 pitches, to be the first starter to get over 100 pitches in his last start against St. Louis, I mean, he's been sharp. The velocity has been there. He's been able to limit walks. Um, I just think for Freddie, this is as encouraging of a start as you could ask for. And now, hopefully, um, obviously, he's going to give up runs. But you just hope that he can sustain, you know, that kind of, production in terms of the innings he's covering the velocity, how strong he feels. I just think to me, it's, it's like a a dream start for him and, and really encouraging and a a great place just for him to sort of set his foundation for the rest of the season.
2: Yep. Next start Friday at Petco. That'll be a good one for Freddie.
1: Yeah. That's going to be a great matchup, great matchup for him. So, um, any final thoughts guys, before we sign off here on episode five,
2: Uh, I'm excited to be home for a couple of days and see my cat. And uh, then I'm excited to get back on the road and have some fish tacos.
3: I can't I can't top that. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah, I got nothing. I I just I enjoy watching this Brewers Club. I I think they I think they haven't even reached their potential yet because there are so many individuals that are going to make just such a big contribution contribution. I don't think we should end the podcast without saying the word William Contreras. I think he's done a fantastic job. And it would be a travesty if we didn't say his name in this podcast. Good job. Yeah. So I did my, I did it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, All right. Well, that's, that's a wrap for episode five. Thanks so much for joining us for this week, listening in as always, you can follow us and our shenanigans during the week um, at dim tillard at Adam McKelvey at Sophia Minner on Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff. And of course we hope that you're following the brewers as well on all of their social platforms. So Thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll see you next week here on Brewers Unfiltered.